Good morning. Good morning. All right. So this morning, we uh, have a slight change of plans. Uh, if you notice, I'm not David. Uh, <laughs> uh, David did fall uh, sick this Saturday, um, yesterday. So uh, like I said, we're having to adjust things a little bit, um, but it's all good. Uh, everything has worked out great so far, and uh, I don't see today being any different because, you know, God is good and we're going to trust him. And uh, whatever is um, done this morning, we're just going to believe that he's in complete control of all of this. And maybe there is some word that is said this morning or some song that was sung this morning that is going to lead someone to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, we're just going to trust that he's in complete control of all this, okay? Uh, but what that does mean is today we will not be doing the next uh, message in the series. Uh, David, I know, broke uh, grow, right, up into two sermons. So he was going to follow up that today. Uh, we are going to push that back. I think his plan is to still go through that. So today we're going to go and do kind of what I call a supplemental message. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a message is kind of laid on my heart. Uh, but what I'd like to describe it as is keeping the ball in the air uh, <clears throat> because it's going to be relevant to kind of grow and go a little bit, hopefully prompt us a little bit, okay? Uh, so it's going to be good. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Philippians 3. So if you guys just want to go ahead, open up your Bible, or if uh, you choose, open up your device and get, <clears throat> get over there. While you're doing that, I want to tell of a little story that happened this past weekend. Uh, JR and myself uh, went to Encounter Cove for their men's conference, and uh, it, was, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, I got to be honest, uh, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Um, if you were to ignore uh, the feelings of being herded like cattle, um, there was 1,100 guys there uh, for this conference uh, from six states, is that right? 28 different, so I, that was close. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so, okay, 28 different states all came, right? 1,100 guys. So needless to say, y you have to be herded like cattle a little bit to keep it organized, okay? It's just, it is what it is, right? Um, they, they had us meet at this, uh, the, the Civic Center, everything. They blowed us on the buses, everything like that. Then they put like 16 guys in a 300 square foot cabin, that was super comfy. Um, that was awesome. Uh, but I'm making this sound bad, and it really wasn't. <laughs> um, the, the, the worst part, actually, about the, the cabin experience is whenever one of your cabin mates uh, opens up his bag with a Sam's Club special bulk buy of earplugs that he hands to everybody with the disclaimer, I have a medical condition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you just know this is going to be a lovely night's sleep. This is going to be great, you know. Uh, but besides, besides that aspect of it, uh, it, it was a really great experience. And um, the testimonies that they gave re really touched me more than what I thought they were going to. I'll be honest. I went down. It's like, okay, I'm going to enjoy the teaching and stuff. But it was really the testimonies that got me. And these guys just stood up completely unashamed, very vulnerable and authentic, and just let it out. And they did it for one reason. Because I know God, this doesn't matter. The only reason I'm telling you is so you know God. <laughs> and that's it. Knowing God changed their lives. I mean, and there were some guys up there that had testimonies about 
I mean, they were drug dealers, uh, adulterers, uh, drug addicts, uh, porn use, just all sorts of things that would really tear a family apart. And we heard it all. And they all said, but, but Christ. And it was beautiful. And what, what made it even better is they made this distinction. And man, 90% of the guys that get up there were saying things like, I grew up in church. I, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up with a good family. Some of these guys were actually former Amish. So, I mean, they at least knew God, right? They, they knew of him. They had knowledge of his existence, those kinds of things. But they were making this clear distinction between knowledge of God, knowledge of his existence. I understand that he's there and knowing God. And it was that knowing God that made them say, you know, it's not that my past doesn't matter. It's, the, it's just that now it's irrelevant to who I am. It's irrelevant to who I am. And this is a very similar message that we're going to see in Philippians 3. And specifically in, in verse 8, let's just read that just real quick. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is counted as loss? It's simple. Everything, right? Everything is counted as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Everything. Does this mean your, does this mean your sin? Does this mean your past? Does this mean everything you've done wrong? Does this mean your debt? Does this mean, yes. What does it also mean? Everything means everything, right? It means my family, my kids, my car, my house, my job, my everything that I would think is, has worth, that has worthwhile. Everything is counted as loss next to the surpassing worth of knowing, not knowledge of, not understanding that he's there. Like, yeah, there's, there's some guy up there. He sits on this big chair. You know, he's kind of this judgmental big deity person, knowing Christ Jesus is the most worthwhile thing you can do as a human being. Not your promotions, not buying the new fancy car, not feeling ashamed because of your past, knowing Christ. Everything is counted as loss. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, which there's copies over there. I highly recommend the book. He puts it like this. When people come to know God, losses and crosses no longer matter. I like that. Everything you've lost, everything that you feel like you've just messed up, all the problems and anxieties that you carry currently in your life no longer matter because you know God. What matters is striving forward and finding that deeper relationship with him. And this is actually why we, as the shepherds, even came up with those four words that we see on the banner over here. Because knowing God is looking to Jesus. How do you come to know God? By looking to Jesus. How do we look to Jesus? 
we worship him passionately. We connect with each other authentically. We grow to know him deeply and we go and declare his gospel, his good news boldly. That's how we look to Jesus. And through those things, that's how we come to know God. I want to read this for you real quick. 1 John 5, 20. And we'll get to Philippians. Okay, just hold on. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, right? We look to Jesus and he gives us the understanding so that we may know him who is true. Him as in God the Father, right? We have kind of a Trinitarian um, idea here in this verse. Who is true and who are, sorry, and we are in him who is true, adopted as sons through the blood of Christ. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. We know God by looking to Jesus. Let's go ahead and read. We're going to read Philippians 3, starting in verse 7 through verse 11. Okay, let's go ahead and read this real quick. Uh, Philippians is such a deep, robust letter. There is just so much. I mean, it's, it's about that long, and Paul just packs so much into that. Um, to the point that, like I said, we're getting ready to read just a few verses here, and it's pretty much thought, uh, Paul's entire theology of, like, what a Christian should be. <laughs> um, and he does this in several different epistles and letters as well, but th- this one specifically, I, I really enjoy. If you, <clears throat> so if you would read with me, uh, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, verse 8, which is what we read earlier, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Or if you prefer the King James Version, it says dung, which is really fun. Um, In order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus and the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. So, like I said, this is very, this is very robust. There's a lot going on here in just these few verses. Uh, but I'd like to offer some plain language, if that's okay. All right. Um, and, you know, every, every time people try to take Scripture and, and whittle it down into, like, a sentence or anything like that, it, sometimes it loses things. And, and that's fine. You know, uh, this may lose a little bit, but I want, to, I want us to try to help uh, focus us this morning. Okay. So plain language. Forget what you know. Forget what you've done. Fight to truly know Christ and his power. Forget what you know, forget what you've done, but fight to know Christ and his power. And I think this would do Paul's passage justice. Like I said, there's so much more that can be unpacked. And if you guys want to do some individual study on just this, just this group of scripture, verses 7 through 10, chapter 3 in Philippians, you're going to find a lot. Uh, This is referenced a lot, okay? Okay. But for today, that's what I kind of want us to focus on, okay? Forget what you know, forget what you've done, but fight to know Christ and his power. Because we know God through looking to Jesus. Follow me, if you will, down a rabbit hole, okay? Because with any Bible study 
or just actually communications in general, okay? If you have to put out communication things, okay? Uh, it's really good to try to figure out, okay, so what's the message inside the message, okay? What am, by saying this, what am I not saying? Those kind of ideas. And this kind of helps you dive in deeper. Because if Paul is saying that the most worthy thing a human being can do is know Christ Jesus and his power, then the message inside the message or the question inside there would be, if it is the most worthy thing, why don't they do it? Why don't they find it valuable? Why don't we pursue it with everything we have? Um, let's see, how, where do you put that? Um, that by any means possible, any means possible, and we'll unpack that a little bit more later, but by any means possible I may attain. You fight for it. So why don't we? And this could go for if you are a believer, or maybe you're not, um, or your family. Okay? When you're uh, doing devotions around your dinner table, things like that, and they're distracted and everything's like, why, why isn't this important? Why, why aren't we finding just tremendous worth in this? Paul would say in another one of his letters that that falls on us. The reason people don't find this to be the most worthy thing for them to pursue is because maybe they weren't told. Romans 10.14 How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? or teaching, proclaiming. It's all the same word there. It falls on us. So if we are someone that truly has come to know God by looking to Jesus, and we look around and we see people, it's just like, you know, they're, they're not, maybe they're not finding it, him as worthy or as valuable as you do. That, that falls on us. It also falls on us how we do it, right? Like I said before, this doesn't just involve uh, what you would consider classic evangelistic practices. This could be around our dinner table with our kids. This could be talking to uh, grandparents, brothers, sisters. Sometimes the people that we have the most influence with are the ones that we have the most trouble talking to. And actually, in most of the Old Testament, uh, when we were to tell that we're supposed to proclaim, that we're supposed to teach, that we're supposed to do these things, more and likely we were actually being instructed to do that to the next generation, your kids. Um, if you allow me, I'm going to just shotgun three uh, verses to you real quick. Uh, these won't be up there, but I'll just want to shotgun them. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.7. Uh, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. The Israelite uh, tradition was all oral, right? They would get up and they would just tell stories and tell stories. And that's how they would teach the next generation about God's goodness. Yeah, there were laws. Yeah, there were things they needed to keep up and everything. But whenever they would tell these stories, it'd all be like, look at what God did. Look how powerful he is. Look how good he is. Um, Exodus 13, 14. In the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? 
uh, talking about an altar in this particular consideration. Uh, you are to tell him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So you would teach the next generation that God is good because he saves us. He's powerful to save. Yeah, sure, there's, there's laws. There's all these other things that we need to keep up because that honors him. He is powerful to save because he's merciful and he loves us. Don't forget. And that's what, that's what these people were trying to do. It's like, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Joshua 4, 21, 22. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Again, an altar, something uh, that we would display to help us remember. Um, then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. We should be telling people about his goodness, about his miracles, about his power. But instead... Maybe we tell people about how they're doing everything in life wrong. <laughs> you know? Telling people about God's goodness is important and a big deal. Uh, not that everyone's opinions necessarily matter or anything like that. You know, only God's opinion really matters and everything. But it sure makes it hard for us to uh, be involved in any type of discipleship or anything whenever we are cranky, miserable, and judgmental. And that just really kind of hurts the cause a little, don't you think? And we're going to get into that here just a little bit. Um, so not that, like I said, people's opinions don't necessarily uh, matter, but at the same time, whenever they are viewing us as something that they just don't want to be a part of, you know, that's when it starts to matter. That, that's when we are starting to uh, maybe be defined more as misconceptions that people are putting on us rather than being defined as a people that know God by looking, through, looking to Jesus Christ. You know, how, how do we want to be defined? Uh, as I was kind of studying this out in a little bit, um, I actually found uh, some, some kind of fun uh, definitions of how maybe we are kind of misconceived to the public. Uh, disclaimer. These might be offensive. <laughs> uh, if, if they are, well, you know, maybe they should be. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, Christianity is a religion of judgmental, homophobic hypocrites that vote Republican are just waiting for the green light to shoot that balloon down. <laughs> Don't worry, we took care of it, right? All right, um, others, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, others would say uh, a Christian is what you would see on TBN, a bunch of nice-looking old white guys asking for money and causing half the auditorium to faint. You've seen it. You, come on, you've seen it. All right. Um, or Christianity is a group of people that never have fun, follow a bunch of rules, and spend Friday nights watching Left Behind like a sports analyst. Now, did you see what he did here? And these are misconceptions, right? These are parts of a truth, potentially, but misconceptions. If we are not active in defining what we believe and who we are, others will do it for us. Sometimes it's not about what we communicate, but it's what we choose to not communicate. If we choose to, you know, stay up here and look perfect to the outside world because, you know, we are high and mighty and all of that, we end up looking unauthentic. 
And then, yeah, why would anyone want to listen to what we have to say? How do we want to define ourselves? Again, I'm going to keep repeating this. I think we'd want to define ourselves as a group of people that want to know God by looking to Jesus and humbly declare, and we're still trying to figure out what that means. Because even the oldest person in this room right now, compared to eternity, is still a baby. (laughs) So there's still a chance that, yeah, you've been on this planet for 80 years, and maybe you still don't have it put together. Maybe you don't have all the answers. So what am I going to do? I'm going to look to Jesus. Because he's been around a long time. (laughs) And maybe he has the answers. And Jesus has taught us so much through the Gospels and uh, through uh, different apostles, meaning like Paul, through the epistles and uh, Peter, the letters and everything like that. There's so much that he has taught us. And I think it's good for us to just recognize that we're still trying to learn it ourselves. It's like, are we a bunch of hypocrites? Sometimes. Sometimes that comes out. But we lean on Jesus. And we try to trust in what he has said. Now using Philippians 3, what I want to do to kind of finish this out is mention two things. And we'll call these effects. Potential effects of looking to Jesus. Let's go with that word. Okay? And like I said, we're going to break these down using Philippians 3 and the group of scripture that we read earlier. Okay? And uh, the first one that I want to kind of point out is, so when we look to Christ, we trust him more. That's a possible effect. Right? We would trust him more. And uh, I'm going to read uh, this Uh, This is how I get it, sorry. Um, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Because I trust him, that's all that matters, right? Anything else can happen, but I trust that Christ is going to take care of me. Simply, trust in Jesus simply means... We believe in what he says and are confident in his ability to keep his promises. Um, I wish I actually had a little bit more prep time because there's a few phrases in here that I just kind of wrote down that I would love to have gotten like in your hands <laughs> um, or at least up there behind me. But because I, I really like that idea of when we think about trusting in Jesus, like that's what that means, right? It simply means we believe in what he says and we are confident in his ability to keep his promises. That's what it means to trust. And like I said earlier, I mean, there's, we've got the Gospels and the entire New Testament of all of these promises that we have of Christ. And then there's even some, you know, a lot of promises in the Old Testament, right, that we have all of these things that we're just trying to absorb and everything. Just so many promises. And we just got to ask ourselves, how many of those do we actually trust? It's really easy to get cranky and miserable and anxious when you're not trusting in the creator of the universe. And I gotta say, this is something I struggle with specifically. Uh, When you look back at some of the misconceptions, um, I think they're always, they're kind of rooted in um, 
uh, let's call them unstable feelings, because <laughs> maybe you're not trusting in Christ. Like I said, and this is something I, I, I personally struggle with. Um, I'm a kind of person, I just don't trust people easily. I've just never been really good at that. Uh, I prefer to go buy a $400 tool I'll use one time instead of borrowing it, because, you know, I trust, I don't trust people. I'd rather do it myself. Uh, these are, these are not positive attributes, just disclaimer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we, we try to teach like the exact opposite, just FYI, not that everyone needs to loan their tools out, but you may never get them back. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> anyways, I'm getting off topic. Okay. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I have a tendency to not trust not only people, uh, but just, uh, situations. I don't trust situations very well. I even have trouble a lot of times trusting my family. I have trust issues. And uh, it, it overflows into anxiety. It overflows into other things. And this past month um, and through the holidays, that was very apparent. Uh, had a rough holiday, you know, uh, that was, should have saw that coming. Everyone says first holiday is the worst, you know. And but, but through that, I think what I found was I, I just felt unstable. And I felt insecure, not, not just in myself. Like, I didn't just feel insecure, but also just insecure with my surroundings. Because it's like my family was always something that I could, go, I could go down there if I needed something stable and secure to just lean on, everything. And, and now that's just completely messed up down there, you know? So it just everything was insecure. Everything was unstable, I was having trouble trusting in the one stable thing that I should be leaning on. Because I wasn't trusting. But then I read this. And I hope it helps you. 2 Corinthians 12.9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in Excuse me, my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a lot of promises that we could trust in. You got a lot of Bible to read. But if you have to trust one, start here. My grace is sufficient for you when you feel insecure. My grace is sufficient for you when you feel dirty. My grace is sufficient for you when you have sinned. My grace is sufficient for you when you feel isolating. My grace is sufficient for you when you, are, you just wake up with a chip on your shoulder and you feel like you're mad at the world for no reason. My grace is sufficient for you and my powers may perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. I don't know who else needs to hear that this morning. But his grace is sufficient. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. When you're at your lowest, that's when he's at his best. Because his grace is sufficient. And this is a promise that I would argue might be one of the hardest ones for us to trust in. 
Because when we feel like we need that much grace, when we feel like we are dealing with whatever weakness we have in our lives, that's when we don't want to run to God, right? That's when we want to separate ourselves from God. That's when we want that curtain to be untorn, put it back down. And he's saying, I need you to do the opposite. I sacrificed myself so that way you can do that. And you may think to yourself, it's like, well, I'm just going to do it again. This is something I have trouble with over and over and over again. And what am I supposed to do? Just every time I mess up, run to him? Like, isn't that being a little selfish? Like, no, that's being biblical. His grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in your weakness. we can come to a point where we can at least at least trust that promise and start looking to him nothing else will matter 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness how much unrighteousness all unrighteousness why does he want you to confess he already knows right? He already knows all the weaknesses, all the insufficiencies that you have. He knows all the times that you messed up. He knows that you yell at your wife on the way to church this morning. He knows all those things. Why does he want you to confess? He wants you to trust him because you only tell your deepest, darkest secret to the people you trust and love. He wants you to trust him. And the more that we trust him and the more that we just let it fall off and the more that we come to him, the more that we become to this point where it's like, I need that grace because I am weak. I need that power. And that trust keeps growing and growing and growing. Now all of a sudden you've come to this place where you truly know Christ. Let's keep going. Second, when we look to Christ, we are bold in him. When we look to Christ, we are bold to him. Verses 10 to 11 from Philippians 3, that's where I get this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Once you see who God is, once you truly know, you'll get to him by any means possible. You will run to him. Because the way Paul words this, this doesn't seem like something, I'll just incorporate Christ in my life or I'll just sprinkle him in when it makes sense. No, he says, by any means, you go to him and you seek that power. Because nothing else matters. And when you reach this point where you know him to this level, back to Romans 10, telling others, you're not telling them from a state of judgment. You're not telling them from the state of, I hate you because of your sin or anything like that. You're telling them from a state of love. It's like, you got to know this guy. He'll change your life. He'll change your life. 
I'm going to shotgun a few more verses at you. They won't be behind me. Uh, if you want them afterwards, I'll give them to you, obviously. All right, so shotgun. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus died to cleanse us of our sins so we can boldly approach our God who is holy and without sin. First John, excuse me, First John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When our hearts and minds are aligned with the mission and the will of God, he tells us to pray with boldness, expecting that our prayers will be answered. First Thessalonians 2, 2. And this is the second part of that verse. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. The Spirit of God emboldens us to proclaim the gospel without fear. We go and teach the gospel boldly. Huh, the mission, mission guy finally got to where he was supposed to be going. <laughs> right? But we go and declare the gospel boldly because of what Christ has done through the Spirit that gives us the boldness to proclaim, but in the right ways. But in the right ways. Through the Spirit, we are emboldened to live out Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to read that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We look to Jesus because he is everything and he has all authority. And it's through looking to Jesus and his power that we come to know God fully. And when we come to know God fully, Fully, we can proclaim him. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come up. We worship, we connect, we grow, and we go. These aren't just words that we give lip service to. I'm hoping that after today you realize that they are all connected. And that's by design. That we worship, connect, we grow, and we go. This is how we look to Jesus together. And it's important that we look to Jesus together because how else are we supposed to know God? How else are we supposed to be able to lean on him when we need him most, when we need that grace and we need that power? When else are we supposed to be able to do that? This morning, someone might have needed to hear that over and over again, that his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And if you're having issues trusting in him, if you're having problems realizing that his grace is sufficient, it doesn't matter how you came in here. If you need prayer, we'll be up here as a worship team place.